I will exalt thee, you, my king, O king, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on the wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness, and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power, to make known the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious, glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all the flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. You may be seated. May it be said of us this morning and in the days to come that our life would be a life patterned on praise. I'd like to read a couple passages up front to get us into today's psalm. Second Samuel, just reading some excerpts. Chapter 22. David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength, in whom I will trust. Do you hear the resolve? My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Verse 7, in my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry entered his ears. We skip down. Verse 26, with the merciful you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people. 
but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power. Is he yours this morning? He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer, sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarge my path under me so my feet did not slip. Verse 47. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. Turn, if you will, to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, beginning in verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly and said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? They've just offered, if you read prior to chapter 29, the beginning, the offerings collected for the temple. Who, who am I, he says, and who are this people that we were able to give so abundantly for a house, for your holy name? I know also, verse 17, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. He, he takes pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O oh, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep it, your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. And then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. I read these two passages to point to one thing in the life of David. 
his life, even amidst the flaws and, and the egregious sins put on display in the scriptures. His life is one of praise. Perhaps there could be many themes attached to David's life. But one theme that I see is that of praise. Praise to his God. David's life is patterned on praise and thanksgiving. You know, a few weeks back, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, which speaks of holding fast to the pattern of sound words. David, I believe, as modeled in the scripture, David held fast to the pattern of praise. As king, David himself magnified the Lord. But as king, he also influenced his people. He inclined them toward the Lord. This was not just something he did off in a corner, isolated. But as king, the Lord had granted him and put him in position to be able to influence others for his kingdom, for his glory, for his purposes. And so these excerpts of praise read up front in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles are examples of David's life pattern of praise. Individually, he praised the Lord, but his life serving as king resonated with praise for the God who called him into service. And as you read Chronicles and Samuel, portion of the kings, you recount the life of David. And in the scriptures, you see the good, the bad, and the ugly, don't you, of David. Scripture puts him forth as a man after God's own heart. And yet the scripture also recounts his life of murder, adultery, an absent fatherhood, Those are laid open and bare for all to see in the scriptures. Sin's ramifications are evidenced in the life of David. The Bible doesn't try to cover these things up. The Bible says holy men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter chapter 1. But why did they write these things? Well, Romans 15 verse 4 tells us whatever things were written before were written for our what? Learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Paul says in Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, all these things happened to him. He's talking about the example of God's people, Israel. All these things they did to provoke the Lord, angered the Lord. He said all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition, for our instruction. So David's account in the scripture is not simply a great story to read. It is that, but it's much more. It's written as an example, written for our admonition, for our instruction, for our learning. That we too might have hope. See, the account of David's life is not confined to Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. The Psalms are filled with David's life as well. 
In fact, I would go so far to say that the Psalms are filled with David's heart. His heart. You know, we can know about someone. But truly, you may not know the heart of that other individual. I believe in the Psalms, we get to know the heart of David, who in 2 Samuel 23, verse 1, is known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Today, we turn our attention to Psalm 145, thought by many to be the final psalm of David. As you read Psalm 145, you might recall some of the words spoken in 2 Samuel 22 and Chronicles 29. This psalm is a declaration of praise to God. I want you to consider David's reign as king. Remember, he reigned seven years from Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. 40-year reign. Much of his life revolved around praising and thanking God for his goodness. One evidence of that in the scriptures can be found in Chronicles chapter 23. I found this fascinating as I was studying and looking at things pertaining to the life of David. In Chronicles 23, 1 through 5, it says, Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above. And the number of individual males was 38,000. That's a lot of Levites. Of these, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. 6,000 were officers and judges. 4,000 were gatekeepers. And 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, said David, for giving praise. You see, David set in place 4,000 people. Their role, their responsibility primarily was to offer praise to the Lord. See, the evidence is, is pretty clear in the scripture. What David thought about this, the priority that David placed upon praise to his God. David's life, church, is a life patterned on praise. And Psalm 145 reflects such a life. It's, and it's a life offered to us by the scriptures as an example, meant for our learning, meant for our admonition. I encourage you to listen this morning as David, through the power of the Holy Spirit in writing, as he speaks. You see, we need to be reminded, and every week it would be good to remind ourselves of this, that this word is profitable for your soul. All of it. Ask of the Spirit what he would have you to learn. And perhaps, for starters... A life of your own, patterned on praise, would be good to consider this morning. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. There are, there, there's so much here. We're not going to cover everything in great detail. I feel like we're skimming the surface this morning, but we're going we're gonna to get through. So, so hang with me. We're going to go and uh, hold on, and we'll, we'll get through, Lord willing, all 21 verses. He begins with a, a prelude of praise, if you will. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name 
forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. You know, I find it comforting. I find it refreshing to read such prefatory remarks. I want you to consider that this psalm is written by an earthly king. The leader of the nation of Israel pens these words. And you hear immediately the heart of David in the psalm. I will extol you. Extol. I will lift up. I will raise. I will exalt you, my God. O king. Isn't it interesting that this king recognizes another king over him? I will bless your name forever and ever. Forever and ever. You see, there's a sense here that David, as he's writing, has this understanding that his blessing of the Lord isn't going to be reserved just for here on earth. His praising of the Lord isn't reserved for just time here on earth. But he understands, and saints of God ought to understand this as well, that our praising of the Lord is going to extend far beyond our time here. We are going to be worshiping the Lord with Him. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Amen? I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. Perhaps that would just be, you know, some of us, sometimes we like to look for practical things in the message. Can I just give you a practical? Here's a practical right here. This week, just begin practicing what that just said there in verse 2. Every day I will bless you. Every day. Let's commit to that this week. Okay, practical. I'm putting it forward as a practical way to apply some of the message this morning. Every day I will bless you. Now, every day this coming week might not all be mountaintop experience. I want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared for it. But you're going to bless his name. You're going to give him praise every day this week. Let's put that into practice this week. So from this preface of praise, in 1 and 2, David then exalts the greatness of God. That's this, verses 3 through 7. We're, gonna, we're just going to look at the greatness of God. Okay? Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. And I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. There's so many things here. In fact, you know what? Just as an exercise in this psalm. And it's not just reserved for this psalm. There are other psalms that you can do this with, but... One of the things I did this week was I was looking through the psalm and I just made lists. Anybody like to make lists? Well, one of the things I found helpful was just making lists. There's two lists that I made. I made a list of what this psalm says about God. If you make a list, it's going to be quite long. Save saves a lot of space on your paper. There's a lot in this psalm about God and who he is. 
There's also a lot in this psalm that speaks to your responsibility before the Lord God. Those are the two lists. I encourage you to make the list. Go through it. Ask of the Lord. Now, the grammarian in me was um, arrested at verse 3. Great is the Lord. Great. Describing the Lord. Greatly to be praised. How is he to be praised? Greatly. His greatness. That would be a noun. See, I know many of you are going... What is he thinking? What is, I got real excited. Maybe Mike Mendenhall is the only other one in, the, in, in here that would be able to resonate. But I got pretty excited when I saw this and how, how it was all used and how it all came together. But when he says his greatness is unsearchable. Again, keep in mind who's writing this. An earthly king. For, for a king to submit that someone else is beyond his understanding. That's the idea. Unsearchable. Church, that takes a bit of humility. It speaks to his willingness to humble himself under, as Peter writes, the mighty hand of God. This king aligned himself under the hand of God. And he's declaring his greatness is unsearchable. What is it that points to God's greatness in this text? If you look at verses 3 through 7, I believe the text answers it pretty clearly. You can just look through and you see emphasis upon your works, your mighty acts, your majesty, verse 5, your wondrous works, your awesome acts, your greatness, your great goodness, your righteousness. I'm giving you a starter list for these things of God. Look, look at verse 4 for just a moment. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now, in a group like this, this, this term generational faithfulness, many of you have heard that terminology. It has a pleasant ring to it. And the scriptures elsewhere speak to the importance of passing along the message of the Lord to the next generation and generations. I'd like you to see two things here in the text in verse 4. Perhaps the tendency is to get stuck on the first part. One generation shall praise your works to another. It's a praise ye the Lord for his works. Okay? Take the time, church, to praise his works to the ones entrusted to your care. Point out the wonders of God. Draw their attention to the God who made all things. You know, this past week I was was walking downtown with my daughter. And I remember sitting down on one of the benches outside the city market. It was a beautiful day. There were many people gathered down there at the city market. Eating. Walking around, the farmer's market had opened up. It was day one of the farmer's market downtown. Amidst all of this, we, after we purchased, got some pizza, had lunch, took it outside, 
sitting on the bench. And we paused and, and we thanked the Lord for his provision of food. But we also were grateful to God for all that he's done. And in that particular moment, I was drawn to praise. Praising God for time spent with the daughter that he had entrusted to me. It was just the two of us. And I was also reminded of a while back while having a walk with another daughter. It too was a beautiful day as I remember. And we were walking around and acknowledging the work of the Lord as we walked. And I remember saying to her, didn't God create a beautiful day? You see, there are moments in your life when you have opportunity to speak and to point your children to the one who has made all of this possible. We don't have to have some set curriculum. Church, you have been given the Holy Spirit. Point your children. Point the next generations. To the mighty acts of God. It's my hope that as we help them see how great this God is. That we serve. That he's not simply a a God whose name just happens to pop up in a Sunday morning message. But he's a God, dad and mom speaking to you particularly right now. He's a God upon whom you rely for all things. And may this generation that's growing, may they see dads and moms and grandfathers and grandmothers who wholeheartedly desire to live for the Lord. You see, the second part of verse 4 is one to take note of as well. It says, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. The word declare has in mind here to, to make known, to, to expound. Praising his works to another generation. In other words, speaking of God and your coming and going as you walk alongside your children. That's the Deuteronomy 6 message. <laughs> Declaring the Lord's mighty acts, making them known shall declare, shall make them known. You see, there's praising his works and there's declaring his mighty acts. Both are called for here. One is oftentimes left out. Perhaps both are absent in your life. You see, as king, David was in a prime position, was he not, to make known the mighty acts of God? His influence as king impacted a nation. But what about your position? You read about David. Sometimes you can be defeated. You can feel defeated by reading about people like David or like the Apostle Paul. Right? Let's ask the question, what about your position? What about where the Lord has planted you? Single? Married? Where's the Lord planted you? If you have the Spirit of Christ in you, you are equipped and ready to make known the mighty acts of God. God has given you all you need for godliness in life. That's what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1. And yet, being equipped 
there is work on your end to be done right now. Declare his mighty acts. What mighty acts, you ask? Well, for starters, how about his mighty act of salvation? Huh? Can you make known what he's done in you? Can you do that? Can we do that? I hope we can. I hope we're not ashamed. Do you look for opportunities to declare this particular mighty act? You see, the next generation, no doubt, needs to hear this declaration and see a life lived in accordance to this declaration. See, it's one thing to declare it. It's another thing to live it, right? We've talked about this. A Sermon on the Mount spoke to this quite often. But there's more. It's not just the next generation. Let's, let's make this a little bigger. Let's broaden it. It's your neighbor. Remember that second commandment Jesus speaks of, following you shall love the Lord your God? The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, let's be about practicing this declaration to our neighbor. Praise his works to another generation. Declare his mighty acts. Both are intended to engage, here it is, both are intended to engage the mouth. Both show forth the condition of your heart. Because the Bible says that what comes out of our mouth is an indicator of what's in our heart, right? There's a connect between what we speak and what's in our heart. We can't disconnect those two. They're connected. That's like when we talk about, in in terms of anger, when you get angry, the angry words flow out of and stem from an angry Look at verse 5. Church, if God is so great, shouldn't he be in your thoughts? Shouldn't his words be on your mind? Look at verse 5. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. That word meditate there has in mind the idea of to to ponder, to, to study, to be in remembrance of. Psalm 1 verse 2. Remember that remember the verse, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he what? He meditates day and night. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 19, 14. May this be a prayer for you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Verse 6. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. And I will declare... Your greatness. Let me ask, do you, do you tend to declare the greatness of other things or other persons over and above the greatness of God? We live in a culture that elevates personalities, elevates lifestyles. You get the idea that David patterned his life in such a way that he was ready to recount. That's the idea of the word declare there. He was ready to recount the greatness of God at all times. When you're in mixed company, 
Do you find it difficult to declare the greatness of God? In the house of the Lord, declaring God's greatness is like preaching to the choir. Or is it? You see, what ought to be happening among the brethren perhaps is not. Is there a greatness of God factor present in this body? I encourage you, today even, to begin practicing the greatness of God factor. Declare His greatness. Speak of what He has done. Replace the repetitive, here's what I did this week, with here's what God did this week. Let's declare His greatness. We speak way too much about ourselves. All throughout this psalm, there's this back and forth of what David himself will do. And there's this exhortation of what ought to be, what is expected. The expectation comes in light of who this God is that David serves. You see, because God is a great God over all things, there is an expectation set forth for how God's children are to respond. David's life exhibits a response of praise. This is the pattern called for in the scriptures. Look at verse 7. They shall utter the memory, uh, this, I love this verse. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The word utter has a mind to bubble forth. The greatness of God ought to bring out in you a bubbling forth of Him. In song, does it bubble forth? As you think back on how God has worked, not only in the history of the scriptures, but in the history of your life, haven't you been able to see His greatness, His goodness toward you? If you just pause for a moment and think about your life, have you marked the times when He showed up to you personally? Can you recall the times when he made himself known to your family? In what ways has his great goodness manifested itself in your life? The church, the call is to praise him for his goodness. That ought to be bubbling forth in the one who is of the Lord. So we have this prelude of praise and we have emphasis upon the greatness of God. What else does David speak to in this psalm? Well, in the 8 through 13, looking at the kingdom of God, he speaks on a few different occasions of this kingdom. And you know, it's interesting here that in the Gospels, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to miss the subject matter of Jesus' preaching and teaching. Jesus, standing before Pilate, John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 36. He tells Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not 
of this world. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we spent a great deal of time looking at Jesus' kingdom principles for living. What is it to live and exhibit the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew writes? Who enters this kingdom? Mark's gospel records Jesus speaking these words in chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, Jesus said. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Luke's gospel recounts these words of Jesus. Luke 4, 43. I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. And even Luke at the beginning of Acts includes a summary of what Jesus taught during his 40 days post-resurrection. In Acts chapter 1 verse 3. It says that the apostles to whom he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was was speaking to them about during those 40 days. This kingdom of God. What difference does his kingdom make? How, How does the king of the kingdom operate? Well, I think here in verse 8, we see a wonderful, wonderful passage here in verse 8. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. I was thinking about David as he's writing and perhaps as he's thinking about the graciousness of God, thinking about his own position as king. He didn't deserve it. You remember he was the youngest of the brothers. He was anointed by Samuel. He's full of compassion. Slow to anger. Great in mercy. I was reminded there of 2 Samuel 24 at the end. when David says, I'm in great distress. He had many options available to him. Three in particular that were put before him to select in light of his sin. And he says, please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of men. If you look at verse 8, you can see and recall the times even in the life of Jesus. Jesus exhibiting these very characteristics, these very traits. John 14, verse 9, Jesus is speaking with Philip. And Philip says, show me the Father. Remember that? Jesus says, have I been with you so long? And you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. See, the Hebrew writer even begins this way, speaking of God's Son, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image, the icon of His person. Emmanuel, God with us. If we took time, no doubt each one could recall the ways in which the Lord himself has been gracious to us. Ways in which he has extended compassion toward us. Praise the Lord that he is slow to anger. You see, because oftentimes we're so fast, aren't we? We have much to learn 
from him in this? James says that the, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. I was reminded here of Matthew 5, verse 45, which speaks of how, how he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The Lord is good to all. And you know, there are so many today who spurn the goodness of the Lord, do they not? Profane his name. They take no thought of God, nor do they consider his kindness toward them each day. They take no account of the breath that they breathe. They have little understanding of the brevity of life and do not see God as the one who ordains all their days, each one of them. Being in Christ, though, are you living a life that reflects his goodness toward you? Verse 10 says, all your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. There is coming a day, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is coming. And yet here in the text, characteristic of the children of God, the children of the kingdom of God. He says, your saints shall bless you. Did you read that? Your saints shall bless you. I was reminded of that hymn, chorus, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You see, the saints shall be a blessing to the Lord. Of all the people God placed here on this earth, the saints his set-apart ones, they should be the ones blessing the Lord. Amen? We ought to be about that. Their lives ought to be an ongoing exercise of blessing the Lord, whether things are going well or things aren't going so well. The charge for the saints of God is to bless the Lord. You see, in this kingdom of God, there's a kingdom way of operating The saints are to bless the Lord. Verses 11 and 12, it continues. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. So the text goes on to say that the saints, remember we've been talking about the saints as we left off the last verse. The saints, they, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. They are to speak of the glory of God's kingdom. And the saints are to talk of God's power. Mm. We talk a lot today, don't we? We have a tendency, most of us, to talk a lot. We talk about a lot of different things. Is there anyone testifying of God's power at work? As you read the account in the book of Acts, Don't you see that happening time and time and time and time and time again? The apostles are testifying to the power of God at work. God's power is manifested through the Spirit of Christ. So, 
What has gone wrong if there is little power exhibited in the body of Christ? Putting the question forward. What has gone wrong if there is little power exhibited in the body of Christ? Could it be that the church is content operating in the power of the flesh? Because the Bible gives really two, puts two forward. Operating in the power of the spirit, operating in the power of the flesh. Little talk, church, little talk of God's power may be an indicator of what we think of God. Little talk of God's power may explain the dullness, the sickness, the frailty of the saints of God. How can it be that God's church is gagged on the subject matter of God's kingdom? How is it that God's church would ever be at a loss for words to describe God's power at work? The saints of God are to speak of his glorious kingdom and talk of his power. Look at verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. This kingdom of God has been around. It's it's everlasting. His dominion, his rule over his kingdom, it endures throughout all generations. We've talked about what to pass on to the next generation. This king, this God that we serve has endured through all generations. You see, when we understand who this God is. It puts into perspective a little bit about who you are, who I am as a created being. (laughs) On the continuum of eternity, the Bible says that we're just a mist, we're a vapor. His kingdom and rule spans all time, all generations. There's never been a time when God was not here. Think about that for just a moment. He's always been present. He, he never, the Bible says he never sleeps. He never slumbers. You go to sleep at night. He doesn't. He's watching. The scriptures prepare us to live in light of eternity. The scriptures call us to eagerly wait for a savior. The scriptures say that we are but pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're traveling through this land Longing for a heavenly country. Right? We are to be about purifying ourselves in the interim while we wait for his glorious return. Psalm 145 verse 13 perhaps stirs up another passage of scripture. You might recall after going through a period of humiliation at the hand of God, King Nebuchadnezzar is restored by God. I want you to listen to what God did in his life. I just want to read two verses. Turn to Daniel chapter 4. At the end of, my t- of the time, verse 34, chapter 4, Daniel. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. This is a testimony, church, from a pagan king. 
The Lord got his attention. Restored him. Here's the back end of the restoration. Here's his declaration. Praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. Those words hopefully sound familiar from Psalm 145. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. All of them. Remember, he's king. Now, there was a time he wouldn't have said this. But after the Lord got his attention, after the Lord humbled him, brought him low, after he hung out a little bit with some of the cattle, eating the grass, that awakened him a little bit. And he declares here, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? You see, because that last verse of the chapter in 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Similar to what we've heard from David, his alignment under the king. Nebuchadnezzar now, having seen the light, recognizes who this God is. And he too is praising and extolling and honoring this king of heaven. What a great testimony in the scriptures we have here. His ways, justice, those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Nebuchadnezzar recognized this. This was a testimony of his own life. question comes as we look here at these verses in Psalm 145, 8 through 13. Are you building your own kingdom or are you about advancing the kingdom of God? Does, does life always revolve around you, your plans, your work, your family, even your job, your hobbies? What about God's kingdom? Are you seeking first his kingdom? See, the saints are to speak of this kingdom, to make known the glorious majesty of his kingdom. And church, I asked this morning, is, is this on your radar at all? <laughs> Does your life look a lot like those in the world? Whose kingdom are you pursuing? The text continues. Verse 14 through 17. The Lord upholds all who fall. We see here in these few verses mention of the grace of God. The grace of God. We've talked about the greatness of God. We've talked about the kingdom of God. We see here David also speaks to the grace of God, who this God is that he serves. Key word here, I believe, in these few verses is all, right? If you, if you just look at it and you can kind of underline or make note, the Lord upholds all who fall, raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. His grace is available to all. Do you think David knew anything about the Lord upholding those who fall? The Bible, does it record anything 
mention anything of a fall of David? You bet it does. The Lord upholds and raises up. That may very well speak to some of you this morning. You may find yourself bowed down, low, have fallen. But we even see in 15 and 16 the extension here, I believe, in the text. To all living creatures, the eyes of all look to God for their food. And I love this picture. God opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. He is a gracious God. You see, church, the birds of the air, the lilies of the field, the cattles on the hill, right? They're all his. They're all under his watch care. And so are you. I want you to think about the picture put forth. God opening his hand and satisfying every living thing. Your satisfaction then, in light of that picture, is attached and attributed to the opening of God's hand. (laughs) He is a gracious God to give you what he gives you. Does your life reflect praise and blessing in light of his grace? In light of his opening of his hand? To fulfill the desire. Verse 17 speaks to how God operates. It says he's righteous in all his ways. Gracious in all his works. If in the opening of his hand. He satisfies the desire of every living thing. Is it out of the question to say that. All his ways are righteous. Is it hard to conclude that all his works. Are gracious. And here I'm reminded of Job. And he reminds us that. In in chapter 1, verse 21, that the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He leadeth me, O blessed thought. In that particular hymn, we, we read the phrase, content whatever lot I see. Still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He's righteous in all his ways. Gracious in all his works. And we see here in 18, 19, and 20. Salvation and wrath of God. They're coupled together. I believe there's a connect between verse 14. Those who, are, who have fallen, those who have bowed down. What God does in that instance in verse 14. But connecting it to 18, 19, and 20, I believe it's helpful. I want you to notice verse 18 speaks to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. The Lord for call here in the text has in mind a cry for help. A cry for help. May be helpful. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Church, these are promises. Wonderful promises. Even Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. As we think about those who call upon the Lord. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 19 Back in Psalm 145, it speaks to those who fear Him. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. Is there a connection, you think, between those who call upon the Lord in truth and those who fear Him? I believe there is. This call is a cry for help, a desperate need for God to intervene. I want you to notice, too, in verse 19, what else God will do in light of those calling upon Him in truth and those who fear Him. The text says he also will hear their cry and save them. Church, this is of itself enough to render praise to God, isn't it? (laughs) There was a day for some of you. Maybe you remember this day. You might recall it well. The day that you cried out to God, realizing you needed his help. Realizing you just can't do it anymore. I can't do this. I can't operate this way. There's no way I can do this. You realized and you recognized your need for a Savior. You saw your sin in the same way that the Bible speaks that we ought to be viewing and seeing our sin. As the very thing that separates us from the Lord. You were awakened to your need for a Savior. And therein is the key. You realized you had a need. Your eyes were opened. Your ears were opened. Your soul cried out for the living God. Perhaps, perhaps today we will be reminded of one of the letters Jesus wrote to the church in Revelation. There was a time when life was wonderful and they were all about following in the way of their first love. Perhaps there's a return needed to that first love, church. Praise the Lord for His goodness. Praise Him for His salvation. Praise Him that He heard your cry for help, your cry for help. He's near to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear their cry and save them. Look at verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love Him. You see, He keeps them. He preserves them. They're His. Those that love Him, that is. Do you love Him, church? You love his word. Perhaps one of the reasons we have a difficult time taking up the word so often and reading it 
is because we have no relation. We have no real relationship with We know of him, but we have no relationship with God. We do not love him truly in the sense of the word. You see, it's out of our love for the Lord, out of our relationship with him, that our love for his word comes, flows out of that. You're calling upon the Lord, fearing the Lord, and love for the Lord. These are all connected. And verse 20 sets a contrast. Up to this point, the psalm has been a gallery of praise. Rows and rows, you can just see them. Rows and rows of God's attributes, his nature, his character, reasons to praise his name, responsibilities called for in light of who God is. But now, in verse 20, in the midst of who God is, in the context of a God who hears your cry for help, who saves and preserves you, look at the end of verse 20. But the wicked, he will destroy Two kinds of people put forward here in this psalm. Those who love the Lord and the wicked. There there, are no third, fourth, fifth class of people here. (laughs) Love the Lord and the wicked. Those who love him, he will preserve, he will keep. Those who are wicked, he will destroy. Church, I want you to see a foundational element here in this psalm. It's foundational to praise. Praise God. If you've not called upon the Lord in truth, praising Him will not make much sense. If you do not fear the Lord God, by the way, the Bible says this is the beginning of wisdom, right? This is the fountain of life. If you do not fear the Lord God, praising Him won't matter all that much to you. If you do not love him, you will most likely neglect to praise him as well. The Bible says, Jesus himself says, you cannot serve two masters, right? Do you love him? Is there a lack of praise in your life, church? I want you to consider the scriptures right here. I believe there are three questions that come out of 18, 19, and 20. First of all, have you called upon him in truth? In truth. Going back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. The pattern of sound words. Have you called upon him in truth? Not just for your salvation, but for everyday living. Do you operate under the perspective of needing his strength? Needing his counsel? Needing his wisdom? Needing his truth? Needing his power? Second question, do you fear the Lord God? Do you take the Lord into consideration when making daily decisions? What would he have for you? Notice I didn't say, what do you want to do? What would he have for you? Are his priorities your priorities? Are you blazing your own trail? Are you looking at the trail that the Lord's already blazed and already given to us right here in the word? Do you consult the Lord each day? Spreading it before him. Right? Life of Hezekiah. Spreading it before the Lord. Asking of him what he wants for your life. And this is for, this is for young people too. 
Young people, listen to this, please. The Lord desires for you to ask of him as well. This is not just for dad and mom. Some of you have been operating, young people, for quite some time. The way that you want to go. Doing the things that you want to do. And you failed to consult and ask of the Lord what he would desire for you. What he would desire for your life. Set an example for the believers. Set an example for the world. Be light. Live your life. May may your life be lived in such a way, just like David, that it would be a pattern of praise. But know that this pattern of praise isn't going to just simply come automatically. Young people, there's work to do. And the Lord has given you time right now. He's given you time to practice, to exercise the very things he's called you to be about doing in his word. Don't wait until another day. Don't keep putting it off. Begin today. Walking with the Lord. Trusting in him. Third question, do you love the Lord? Is he the treasure that you seek? Is he, as the scripture talks about, is he the pearl of great price for you? Are you willing to forsake all things, just like those disciples dropped their nets, left their boat, left their father, they followed Jesus? Are you willing to forsake all things, to follow the Lord, to follow what he would have for you? There's a a postlude of praise, verse 21. Just as he opened the psalm, I believe he concludes, and that is with praise. In light of verse 20, I believe David reinforces where he stands. He says, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord in all flesh. May it be so that all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. You see, David's desire was not simply where he stood, but he also had a heart that cared about others. He also had a heart that understood and had a desire for other people to walk in the same way. Do you have that same desire? Are you just concerned about yourself? Now, I will say this as we read verse 21. It reminded me of the book of Joshua. You remember the end of Joshua? Choose this day whom you will serve. And what's Joshua say? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua made it very clear to everyone the direction he was going, the stance that he was going to make. And I see right here at the end, in light of verse 20, in light of the Lord saving, preserving those who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. And then then this personal declaration, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. You see, having declared the wonder and the majesty of the Lord, having spoken of the power of God at work in his life, having contrasted the reality of God's salvation and deliverance with his wrath toward the wicked, David speaks with clarity, puts the stake in the sand, if you will, and he says, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. What about you this morning, church? Will your mouth speak the praise of the Lord? Will your mouth be led by a heart of praise? And will your mind be filled with praiseworthy 
and excellent things. Philippians 4 verse 8. Perhaps some of you look at Psalm 145 and you like a lot of what it says. But for some of you, maybe this is just simply a matter of trust. Do you trust him? You see, in a relationship, it is important that there's a level of trust, isn't there? The idea of trusting him, the idea of getting to know him, we need to be able to trust him to get to know him. And, oh, but the Bible talks about, does it not, how we're to walk and how we're to live. In fact, it inserts this even in the midst of how we are saved by means of faith, right? We're to walk by faith. That's how we're to live. That's how we're to operate. You know, I was reminded of the story, and many of you can relate to this, I'm sure. I know there are a few bike uh, hobbyists here in, in the room. But you might remember the time when you first started riding your bicycle. And you remember when you were riding that bike, you had to trust that those training wheels were going to hold you securely on that bike. And you kept riding and you kept riding, perhaps dad, mom, or a friend, someone was alongside of you as you were learning to ride that bike. There was at some level a measure of trust that this bike was going to hold you. <laughs> you had to, at some point, realize that when these wheels, these training wheels came off, the, the thought, the joy for some of you was to be able to zoom and go free of those training wheels. Church, some of you here are in Christ. Some of you have yet to take the training wheels off your bike. And you're content with that. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him with your life? to do the very things in his word he says he will do. Will your life be patterned as it was in the life of David? Will it be patterned as a life of praise? Regardless of what comes, and there are going to be things that are going to come. If they haven't come already, get ready. Strap it on because it's coming. When it comes. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My mouth shall speak of your praise. Will that be said of you? Perhaps today as a church, maybe we need to be reminded of just trusting in the Lord. Trusting in Him. Taking the training wheels off. Let us, let us move past. That's what the Hebrew writer says. <laughs> Hebrews at the end of 5 and into 6. Those elementary things. Let us get rid of the training wheels. Let us walk with God. And operate in the power that he's given to us in his Holy Spirit. Church, do you trust him? That's the question. Because until you do, and unless you do, 
the life that's described in this word. It's just going to be something you know about. He's called his church not to just know the information, but to walk as a new creation. Amen? That's how he's called us to walk. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, this word of truth. Father, I thank you that you've given to us a pattern of praise in the life of David. You've given to us a pattern of praise in your word. May it be said of us that our mouths would speak your praise, your righteousness, your goodness, your greatness, all the things we've talked about here in Psalm 145. Father, I pray that these words would be taken into our heart, that we would truly meditate upon them, we would ponder these things, that we would consider what you've called us to be about here. You are a great God. And you are worthy to be praised. May we do just that. May your saints bless you. May that be a pattern, an ongoing exercise in our lives. And all the while, Lord, I pray that we would point others to your majesty, to your kingdom, to your goodness, shining the light of Christ. Pray that you would get glory through it all. I pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our rock, our redeemer. Amen.